sharing our faith and passion for the Lord Jesus Christ with others is a desire of Zion Christian Fellowship. Our prayer is that this message will have a lasting impact on your life and draw you closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. This message is not copyrighted. You are free to make copies for friends and neighbors. We only ask that you copy it in its entirety without alterations or changes. Now unto the King Eternal, Immortal, Invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's not take for granted your word. Let's pray, Father, that you would bless the rest of the service here this morning. Pray that you would speak through me, Father. Allow me to be a channel for you this morning. Pray that you would uh, draw each one of us, myself included, Father, closer to you. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I might start with helping Brendan out just a little bit since he asked the question about uh, um, Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. So I'm going to do my best to draw a 2D map of a land that is very not 2D. So you have the Mount of Olives. Uh, Bethany sat, proportionally this might be off, but Bethany sat somewhere over here on this back side of the Mount of Olives. There's a big valley that goes down. And then, uh, uh, how should we do this? What is called the Old City of Jerusalem nowadays sits something like this, and it's on top of a mountain. The, I think the lowest point being this corner, which is called the Temple Mount. You might be familiar with that. Uh, currently the, uh, the Dome of the Rock sits somewhere here. The big Golden Dome, Al-Aqsa Mosque sits over here. Then down below this, actually, is what is called the city of David. So this is valley down in here. And, well, actually, it's more like this. Anyway, so uh, the Temple Mount, Herod um, took down the temple, set it back up. Um, he took it down. He made a big, I think, a, a big retaining wall. So he also would hear of the, uh, the Wailing Wall or the Western Wall. That is... Has, it's actually nothing to do with the temple. It's the Temple Mount. So it's, it's uh, I don't know, I can't think of something to explain it right now, but say you're going to build a big building out across the, the way out here. You flatten that all out. And that's what the wall then is, is there, was, there would have been a mountain peak here, and the rest of it like went downhill. So he raised it all up, built a big wall all the way around it, and then set the temple back up on it. So the Jews pray at the western wall because it's the closest place they can get to and are allowed to pray um, in relation to where the temple used to stand. So that's the purpose of the, the western wall, or the wailing wall, it's also called. Anyway, so I believe in the specific story that uh, Brendan mentioned there in children's lesson, I think that... He, Jesus had been staying in Bethany, and so he would have ridden up over the Mount of Olives and then down through this valley, uh, coming in the eastern gate, is that correct? I think coming in the eastern gate, which um, 
and my proportions aren't right here, but I think if I'm thinking correctly, it would have been somewhere in that vicinity. Um, yeah. I'm trying to picture it again. I messed myself up because my map isn't very isn't very uh, to scale. But anyway, so it's significant that he wrote in the Eastern Gate because it's the last time he entered in there. I think Larry might have shared about that. Did you talk about the Eastern Gate? Yeah. Anyway, uh, since you asked Brendan about your him riding in on the colt, it would have been coming from Bethany up over the Mount of Olives and then into Jerusalem. Uh, City of David, archaeologists tend to think now that most of the old city wasn't actually Jerusalem at that time, at the time of Jesus. It would have probably been from here this way. At least, definitely not as far north and north and west as it is currently. Anyway, there's your geography history lesson all combined in one. Good morning. Um, oh yes, and going up to Jerusalem—that is something that I—I probably said this before, but it's fascinating because. They would have, the, the Sea of Galilee is actually below sea level. I don't think I realized that beforehand, but Jerusalem sits at about 2,400 feet of elevation. So they walked from, I don't know if they know the, the historic, exact historic routes, like what people would have traveled to Jerusalem if they went through Jericho or not, but Jericho sits down the hill from Jerusalem. And it's about 4,000 feet from Jericho up to Jerusalem. Um, Jericho sitting, yeah, about around 2,000. Uh, I think it's 700 meters. So, yeah, about 2,000 feet below sea level. Or the Sea of Galilee, or no, I'm sorry, the Dead Sea is 2,000 feet below sea level. Jericho's a little bit higher. So, he definitely went up to get to Jerusalem. All right. Um, moving into what I'd like to share about this morning. I, uh, I'll try to think where I should really start here. I, I was not feeling real settled on how to open this exactly. Um, at the beginning of October, we had a ministry retreat. There's a church in Pennsylvania that gives oversight to our group there in, in Jerusalem. And uh, so the ministry team from there came to visit, and we had kind of a retreat weekend, um, several days of just sitting together and visiting. Um, I was given a topic to share during that time, and uh, the guy that gave it to me, I think, knew that I needed it. That's probably why he gave it to me. But the title he gave me was The Healthy Rhythms of Work and Rest, which I don't know if any of you know me very well or not, but that just didn't really fit that well with me. I don't know if I actually would have said that sleep is a necessary evil or not, but you can definitely get by without it most of the time. That would, that would have been my general, my general operating um, procedure. 
Um, anyway, so thinking about this topic, really, uh, really, it was interesting, and the, the studying through it was, has been a challenge for me, and that's what I'd like to share here this morning, is about this topic. Um, and I, it's more than just, when you think of rest, it's more than just sleep. Um, it's, I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but it, it's more than just sleep. And so I had a list of questions here I was thinking about in relation to, to this. Um, I might just read through them. If you uh, want to be honest enough to raise your hand, if you feel this way. Um, yeah, go ahead. I'm not specifically asking that you do, though. But uh, I, anyone, is anyone tired here this morning? Might be the first question. <laughs> you guys have a little bit of a drive, though, don't you? So that's, you have good reason to be tired. My family did that for a number of years. I know how you feel. Um, does anyone feel like they're too busy to be here this morning? Like they have too many other things that they should be doing? Feel like, yeah, you have a million and one things to do elsewhere. Why am I here? Maybe it's, you know, it's work from the past week, something didn't go right, or you're starting a new job or project on Monday, and so your mind is rolling about all the details of that, whatever, you know, whatever that is. Maybe, uh, maybe you're, you didn't, men, maybe you didn't get enough done on your honey to-do list yesterday, and you think you... You know, it'd be nice if you got a little further along on that. Or, ladies, maybe you're still making the list for your husband to get stuff done. Um, ladies, maybe you're thinking about schooling and issues you're having with that. Um, or maybe it's the little side business you run as a, as a means to help make ends meet. Thinking about all that, are you feeling rested this morning? Does your, does your mind feel at rest? Is anybody glad to be here this morning? Like so glad that you, let me finish, so glad that you can't think of anything else you'd rather be doing. I'll admit I've shown up at church sometimes and that's not the case. I don't, you know, I don't know what I wished I would have been doing, maybe just sitting at home Maybe I wished I was feeling a little bit sick so that I felt like I had a good enough excuse to stay home. Anyone feeling burnt out with church? Or religion, Christianity in general maybe? You know, not specifically here or anything like that, but just in general. Maybe you know you shouldn't feel that way but you're not really sure how to get out of it. Feeling a little depressed. Definitely not feeling the joy of the Lord. And then in all of that, thinking, wait, I'm supposed to be somehow pointing other people to Christ and I can't even find the joy myself. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, right? And if we're in that way, shouldn't we feel like he's that? 
those are just some questions that came to my mind. Uh, not necessarily all things I'm struggling with or anything like that. I just just was thinking about you know how people might be feeling. And sometimes you can actually see that on people. You can see that on their face. They're tired. They're discouraged. They're, I don't know, worn out. Look 10 years older than they should be, you know, because of the stress or pressure of life, whatever that may be. I think uh, here's another question. This one I would, I would, uh, request your input on, curious what your thoughts would be. What is the biggest enemy to spiritual life in our day? Kind of a big question. Call it out if you have an answer. Okay. Technology, discouragement. Busyness. Who is that? Okay, sorry. I know I've talked with some people a little bit about this, and so I was curious if somebody was getting ahead of me in my notes. But I don't think I talked to Levon about it, so he's, he's safe. Busyness. That's an interesting thought. Um, all the answers are good. I mean, they're all, they're all valid, but many of them, except for maybe the devil, that's just sort of the overarching idea, I guess. But specifically, I think some of the other things mentioned come back to the busyness. Um, discouragement, is that what you said, Elvin? Uh, discouragement. Um, you know, you want, you want things to happen. or I'm not, I'm not speaking directly to you, but just thinking about the idea of discouragement. So you want to see things happening, and they're not happening maybe fast enough or... Um, you know, we all can get discouraged. You can get discouraged on the building project you're working on. Kind of accept the fact that you get discouraged in your house building project that it wasn't happening fast enough. And it, it kind of comes back to busyness, in a way. Or hurry, might be a better way to put it. Is it very easy to have a, a uh, walk with the Lord if you're in a hurry? Or maybe I didn't ask that. Maybe I didn't ask that very clearly, but let me say it this way. It's difficult to have a good relationship with the Lord or anyone if you're in a hurry. That can be that can be multiple things. Maybe you're just plain too busy. Maybe maybe you have a lot of distractions that cause you to be busier or more hurried than than you would normally be? Does anyone feel like they're on a hamster wheel sometimes? You know, and it just, it's going and going and going and going and you're not sure how to get off of it? Feel like if it goes much faster, it's going to fly apart, but I'm not sure what's going to happen when I jump from this thing either. So, hurry involves excessive haste or a state of urgency. It's, it's uh, connected to words like hurl. You might hear the phrase like hurtling through, or hurtle. hurling, hurling through time and space or something like that, you know, just like a, 
you just think something fast. Um, you might hurl a ball. You know, it's going to fly through the air, sort of uncontrolled. Uh, hurdle. This is this one wasn't familiar to me, but I thought it was interesting. Hurly burly. It, it means a state of uproar. Hurricane. It's also another word connected to hurry. Is there much peaceful about a hurricane? It's a state of frantic effort one falls into in response to inadequacy, inadequacy, fear, and guilt. So, yeah, maybe I don't have to, maybe I don't have to dive into that, but the, in response to fear, this is a quote I, I found, in res, the hurry being a response to fear I thought was interesting because how many times are we, you know, we feel like we're losing control a little bit in some situation and we need to try to, to get ahead of it in a way. Obviously, there are times in life, like an accident or a medical emergency, you know, something like this, it calls for a more frantic pace. That's a pace that's not sustainable long term. If your life is an emergency and you're running from one thing to the next but not getting either done, that's not going to work out very well. It's called an emergency for a reason. It's like, you know, something needs to be done now and then it's settled and taken care of. Here's another, here's another uh, quote for you. All my worst moments or when I'm in a hurry. So that's kind of a kind of a deep thing to process. Think about the last time you I don't, I don't know. These are just examples I I came up with. <clears throat> Excuse me. Maybe uh maybe this isn't an issue for anybody. Maybe it's only me that, that had trouble with this, but yeah. When was the last time that you didn't respond right to someone? Your wife, your children, your boss, maybe it's your parents. You were probably busy and feeling a sense of urgency about something. Maybe it was this morning trying to get to church on time. Just hurry up. Let's get out the door. Let's go. Hurry, hurry, hurry. I find myself saying that a lot to my boys. Come on, let's hurry. Let's go. It's not a state of peace, really. Hurry. It's, it's, it's antithetical to peace, actually. Like, they don't go well together. The greatest commandment is love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Hurry up and love somebody. Doesn't really work very well, does it? Hurry up and show someone love. Some other, some other fruits of the Spirit that aren't compatible with hurry. They Probably none of them are, but joy and peace. Did you ever feel... Just an overwhelming sense of joy um, 
while you were racing through your day trying to get everything done on your list? It just doesn't, it doesn't happen. It's not there. The same with peace. The idea, the idea of being in a hurry, like there is nowhere that peace fits into that picture. Peace being that you know you're settled and you're maybe content or or uh, not worried. Hurry is is the opposite of all of those things. Um, with joy, I think I miss miss mentioning this. With joy, uh, you know, you meet somebody and you can tell that they're happy to be with you, and there's like a joy there. But if that person that is in a hurry, it's not you're not feeling that that uh, joy. Um. Yeah, there's a lot more things that can be said about that. Just kind of laying those ideas out there, those questions out there before we go into uh, the Bible and look at specifically one passage. Um, but there's there's a couple things. Um, one thing that, that goes with hurry is distraction. That could be a whole other message. But if we're... Let me, let me say this. Does anybody think that another eight hours in the day would fix the problem of hurry? Okay. The, the last, especially the last, say, two to three hundred years, the amount of time-saving devices that have been built is, it will just, <laughs> it's incredible. So, just if you want to heat your house, okay, you to go out in the woods, Chop down a tree with an axe. Cut it up into logs. You know, think of the time that this is taking. Even if you have it all in a log pile already by your house, and you just want to start a fire, you got to go out and get logs, bring them in, get a fire started. It could take an hour. Now we just go over to the wall and we press the up arrow, and it's warm. So what have we done with that hour? We filled it up with other things, and that and that's one thing. That's heating your house. That's not driving to town versus walking. That's not, you know, getting the uh, uh, the gallon of milk out of the fridge instead of going out and milking the cow. I mean, just on down the list, we have designed a lot of time-saving devices only to be short on time. So I think distraction plays a big part in this hurry because if we, if we do find ourselves having a little bit of time, what do we do with it? We waste it on something else probably. Somebody mentioned technology. I think it was David mentioned technology. And that's very much a part of that. Um, how often do you find yourself in this sitting there waiting for something and so you pull your phone out and you're just 
scrolling through what the news headlines are, whatever, or reading the news, which, again, is a distraction from many, many things. For many reasons, good or bad, we are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. We are more busy than bad, more distracted than non-spiritual many times. That's another quote I pulled from somewhere, and I thought it was interesting. You know, often we're not, like, who in here is thinking that, you know, they want to just give up the Christian life? Nobody, probably. But how many in here is that happening to you because we're being distracted away from what matters? Um, T.S. Eliot, a poet, wrote a line. It goes like this. In this twittering world, this is before Twitter, in this twittering world where people are distracted from distraction by distraction, process that. You know, you're distracted by something, but then you get distracted twice more yet on top of it. A world where there's just enough distraction to avoid the wound that could lead to healing in life. That's an interesting idea. We'll probably get into that a little bit more, but do we distract ourselves from hurts and things that that God would want to deal with us on if we would, if we could quiet ourselves enough before Him to have Him speak into our life about that. Distracting ourselves enough to avoid the wound that could lead to healing in life. So we're not finding healing in life because we're not allowing God to touch this wound. Distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. I just thought that I think that's just an interesting phrase. It's like it's like we're we're here, we're alive, but yet in a way we're we're like not here really, just sort of floating through time. Um, Psalm uh, sixteen, I think it is. Beginning of it said, or beginning of verse eight says, "I have set, I have set the Lord always before me." It's an interesting thing to think about. Um, the studies have been done, or actually, it's, it's not really studies; it's just data that's been collected. The average iPhone user touches their phone two thousand six hundred and seventeen times a day. Two thousand. I have a hard time saying it even. I just Okay, so maybe I'm not average. You know, maybe I'm below average. Maybe it's 500 times a day. Imagine what my life would be like if God touched my life as often as I touch my phone. 2,617 times a day. And if you think, because you're an Android user, you get off on that, the difference is, is that Apple just tracks those things. That's why they have the data. The Android users do the same amount. 2,617 times a day. I didn't do the math on that, but it's... Is that multiple times a second? I'm not sure. 100 times an hour? 
Is that, is that how that works out? 24 times 100? Do 2,400 times? 100 times an hour? More than 100 times an hour? A couple times a minute. That's a lot to process. I have set the Lord always before me. Sometimes it feels like I have placed my phone always before me. So that's, that's the distraction side of things that, that lends to this issue with hurry. You, I, yeah, you could go down the distraction thing in a whole other message. But I want to come back to hurry. We're warned about gaining the world and losing our own soul. Does that sound like hurry? You know, you're just going after everything that there is to go after, yet losing your own soul. So, uh, Matthew 11, uh, verses 28 through 30, it says, Jesus said, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I'm quoting this. I'm, I think I'm misquoting that. I didn't put it in my notes. Um, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I think that's, I think I got it correct now. Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. What does rest for your souls mean? That's quite a phrase. Rest for your souls. Feeling rest in your souls this morning? Is that where you find yourself through the week? Just feeling rested? I find myself feeling weary generally partway through the week. How do we find rest for our souls? I think we often we kind of look at these verses and we think of uh, the a new believer getting born again. You know, casts off the yoke of sin. It's a heavy bondage. Um, Pilgrim's Progress. You have a Christian, you know, casting off the burden. I think that's the picture we often get or think of when we read through this. But if that is the picture, we should find ourselves living in that as well, right? But I think, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I sort of think we skip past that idea of I'm a Christian, I should be feeling rested. These verses are for us, not just the new believer. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. When you read through that, it's a very it's a very strange set of verses, really. So you have someone that is tired, weary, 
And Jesus says, take my yoke. What is a yoke? It's an instrument of work. Did you ever read through that and think, wait, what, what is this supposed to mean? I'm tired. The last thing I want to do is go pick up a shovel. Come unto me, all you. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Somehow we're supposed to find rest in this instrument of, of work. Well, I, in my study, and I discovered something I didn't realize. The yoke, in this sense, was actually a common idiom used by rabbis. So a rabbi would have his yoke as a as a, like a figure of speech, his yoke. And it was his particular set of, uh, not set of teachings, his, uh, it, okay, so a rabbi would have disciples, just like Jesus had. Um, many people viewed him as the rabbi. They didn't recognize, you know, they didn't have the whole of history to see him as the son of God as we did. So they saw him as a rabbi. He had his disciples or his uh, apprentices who were learning under him. And a rabbi would, his yoke was his particular way of viewing or understanding of the law in particular. Uh, I think Andrew talked about it last Sunday or two Sundays ago. Uh, he talked about the 613 laws. Um, I forget exactly what he said, but I remember thinking that, I, not to disagree with something he said there, but there are 613 laws in the Old Testament. The, the rabbis added on top of these. So the, I think when he mentioned it, he talked about them adding 613 or something. I, I forget exactly how it went, but there are 613 laws of the Old Testament. Those were given to Moses by God. A rabbi would have his way of interpreting or understanding them. And he called this his yoke. So, an example, just real quick. I didn't go look it up, but um, I know it talks about, this is one we kind of see quite a bit actually, and I'll explain some detail behind it. But um, it talks in the Old Testament, in the in Leviticus, or I guess it would be in Leviticus, um, about not seething a kid in the mother's milk. Okay, that's, that's one of the laws of the Old Testament. So basically, you take a, a young kid, goat, and you, you butcher it. You're not supposed to boil it in its mother's milk if you were going to make a meal. That's, that's how we would read, or I would read that, just very basic. Well, the Jewish rabbis have taken it to... Varying extent, but the the idea of eating kosher, which is according to Jewish law or the Old Testament law, the rabbis would have taken that particular set and meat and dairy products shall not mix. So pizza is going to be cheese and vegetables. You won't find meat on a on a kosher pizza. Um, don't eat at McDonald's in Israel. If you thought McDonald's was bad here, it's really bad there. 
Um, the burgers are dry. There's no cheese on them because you can't mix cheese and meat. And there's also something about the, I don't know exactly what it is. Part of the reason they're dry is the, uh, what do you call that, like the fat content in burgers is very low. And that also has to do something with the law. Um, so it is a dry, hard patty. It's not good. Um, those are, that would be a rabbi's yoke, like his understanding of those verses. Um, on the meat and dairy not mixing, it would go to the extent, you know, depending on how, what, uh, there's, there's a little bit of a spectrum of how kosher you are. Um, you, you might go into kitchens and there's two sinks. Dairy gets processed in one, meat gets processed in the other. Two sets of pans. You don't ever cook dairy or meat in the same, in the same dishes. Uh, even, okay, so you could wash it, right? Well, it's, it's got to be washed nine times. I forget, something like that. It has to be ritually cleansed again before you can use the other in it. So it's a big deal. And it's, it's how the rabbis have taken that law that was given by God and interpreted it. They're, you know, you might think that's crazy, but they're wanting to abstain from getting anywhere near breaking that law. So in a way, you can respect it because it's like they're, they're trying as best as they know how to, to keep from breaking those laws. They don't want to get too close. Um, so if we use this figure of speech and think that this is how Jesus would have also used it, having been, been a common, uh, common terminology in that time, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Okay, what is the yoke of Christ? What is his understanding, his teachings of, you could say, of the law, or but just in general? What is his way of life that he was wanting us to walk in? That will probably look different for each of us. Um, hear me out when I say this. As I explain it here, I've heard that when they fit a yoke to an animal, it's generally fit for that animal. It, it doesn't work very well to just plop on the, the, uh, a yoke onto the next one. It doesn't fit their shoulders right. It's not something they're able to carry without having issues. And I think it's a little bit that way for us in this. As a father, I'm going to have to deal with certain things in life. Jesus wasn't, Jesus didn't have children. So he doesn't specifically ever say, as a father, do this. Okay, he might. But what I mean is, he does, we don't see that example. We don't see him as a father and how he treated his children. We don't see him as a mother, how he treated his children. We don't see him how... 
uh, as a business owner, he treated his employees as an employee, how he treated it, his boss. As a, we have one story from his childhood of when he was what about twelve years old, I think. They. Other than that, we don't see how he, as a child, treated his parents. We don't have that, but we do have a lot of interaction of him with others around him. And we can learn a lot from that. He wasn't in a hurry. I think I forgot to mention this. God didn't create hurry. He created rest. We don't find Jesus in a hurry. He was busy. So busy that uh, one time it says that they hadn't, hadn't had so much as time to eat, I think is how it says it. The disciples, you know, and when they were working with Jesus. He calls his disciples away to rest. And they, I'm just pulling some of these stories from my memory here, but I think in that one they, uh, they were headed across the lake and um, across the Sea of Galilee. And the people saw them going, and so they, they, uh, they quick ran around to the other side. So he, he says, come away, let's rest. And then they arrive over there. I think then is when he feeds 4,000 people. Doesn't sound very restful. Like, so we, we have a little bit of a problem. I have one too. My battery just died. <laughs> So we have a little bit of a problem. The, uh, he's busy, but he's not hurried. And how do you get to that place? And it has to do with knowing what is important, not being distracted like we talked about, knowing what is important and being able to, um, being able to do that. So, in Mark uh, chapter 1, towards the end of the chapter, or I'll kind of run through a little timeline here, um, Jesus is baptized in the Jordan by John the Baptist. He goes into the, into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. That's an interesting phrase as well. Like he, it's like he purposely went there to be tempted. That's how it reads. He went into the... Uh, he went into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Um, that's kind of a, it's sort of hard to understand and you know, process that. Like he purposely went there. We sort of look at it as uh, he was there and the devil came along and tried to tempt him. But no, he, he went there to be tempted and to stand up against those temptations. He was tempted 40 days, and then we read of the three things that he was tempted with. So what were the other 40 days of temptation? Anyway, we, uh, after that story, he comes then back to Galilee. Um, the, they think the site of that, based just on you know, the wilderness idea, uh, and possible place for the baptism that would have been somewhere south of the Sea of Galilee um, in uh, the Judean Mountains, I think that's where it would be. 
not pulling that up right now. I think that's where it was. Anyway, and uh, just open desert, mountains, hills, very little rain. Um, so he goes after this. He goes north to the Sea of Galilee, and he begins his ministry there. He heals the, I think the first, the first healing you have is the man with the withered hand. Again, I, I told you I'm pulling some of this from memory. My, my notes are gone here, but after that, he heals him on the Sabbath in the, in the synagogue, of which synagogue there's ruins of there today that you can see in the city of Capernaum. It's very fascinating. Um, so he heals him. It's a Sabbath day. Uh, they go to Peter's house. He heals Peter's mother-in-law. Um, after which they bring, so that it's, it's in the evening now of the Sabbath. So Saturday evening after the sun goes down there, the Sabbath day has ended and they can go about their, you know, the work or whatever they need to do. And so people are bringing all manner of sickness and disease to him to heal. So Saturday evening, we don't know how long it goes, but it says it goes late in, the wording would make it sound like it goes late into the night. And then the next verses, he gets up a long while before daylight. So I don't know. Did he sleep two hours, three hours, five hours? You know, what, when did it stop? What is a long time before daylight? It's not very specific, but he goes off to, the, to a deserted place to pray. So he's, it's the start of his ministry. He's really busy. He, he goes off to pray early in the morning. Doesn't tell anybody where he's going. The disciples are looking for him. They can't find him. Peter says that. It says as much in that story. Every, I think he says, everyone is looking for you. It's a little bit like, you know, last night was such a huge success in all the, in all the healings. and More people are coming. Where are you at, Jesus? But somehow he leaves everything that's happening. And he's able to go off in the wilderness to a deserted place, quiet place. Somewhere where he can get away from the, the, the distraction of what's happening around him. Our tendency in this case, we come back. Peter says everybody's looking for him. And, oh, wow, there's a lot of people to heal. What would we do? We'd start working. Let's, let's start healing these people. He doesn't. He says, no, we're going into this village. Like, when you look at that whole picture, it doesn't look like it's the right thing to do, does it? But somehow, in his time of getting away... Resting, he reconnects with God and sees what is needed. What, what am I supposed? What is he supposed to be doing here? And when the pressures, you know, Peter comes and says, "Everybody's looking for you." When those pressures come, he can very uh, calmly, coolly say, "No, it's not what we're here for." We're going here because these people need to hear me preach as well. 
the ability to the ability to see if I technology synced very well. Maybe my notes are on my phone. The ability to to quiet ourselves from everything else around to hear from God is work actually. It doesn't just happen. All right, so if we're thinking about the verses in Matthew, the yoke, um, take my yoke upon me and learn of me. One thing that I think we need to learn from Jesus is that ability to find the place where the distractions can't enter in and you can hear from God. If we're not finding that on a regular basis, I don't know, I'm not sure how to end that. It's a problem. Okay, I have four little boys. Uh, four very energetic little boys. And it's difficult to find that. It's very difficult to find that sometimes. Where it's quiet. Okay, I could just go off and leave them with Lisa, but then she doesn't have the chance either to find that quiet time. Why do, we, why do we get ourselves in such, in this sense of hurry, where we can't just lay everything aside? You could blame it on the American dream, maybe, but I think if you would ask around the world, I think you'd start finding everybody. How are you doing? Good, just busy. That's all too common of an answer for us. Well, when you answer that, you're telling the person asking, I don't have time to... You know, if you have a need, I don't have time to hear from you. Is that the way it should be? Boom. I looked recently um, because I was just kind of curious. I sort of forget when she would have passed away. You're probably all familiar with her. I, I assume you are. She would have been hiding the, the Jews during the during the uh, World War II with the Nazis. Um, so I think, if I remember correctly, she passed away in 70s or the 80s, so at the time of World War II in the 40s, late 30s, early 40s, <clears throat> she would have been, I think I'd figured she was probably around 50. For some reason, I always imagined she was much younger than that, but just the, I didn't, I didn't do a lot of research, just the quick looking that I saw, I think she was born before the year 1900. I, I could be wrong, I mean... If you find otherwise, let me know. But I think that's what I remember reading. Okay? You don't think of people in the 1900s being very busy, really. I mean, they didn't have near the pressures we have to deal with. They didn't even have, they even have telephones, let alone, you know, one attached to you. She said, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. 
busyness separates us from connection with God and people. Which, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two things that we're here for, right? If you sum the law up into those two things. Um, Jesus didn't allow himself to be too busy that he couldn't make, that he couldn't connect to God. He was God. How much more do we need that ourselves? this and then I went I went on and gave that quote from Corrigan Boom but what what is it that that like draws us into being in such a hurry? I think one thing you could you could say is it's discontentment, not happy with where we're at. Um, do we yeah have we fallen for the American dream? You know Always needing something bigger and better. What about just being happy with where we're at, with what we have? It's interesting that the opposite of hurry, or one, one of the opposites of hurry is slow. It's almost always used in a negative sense. <clears throat> if someone uh, isn't very smart, has a low IQ, we call them slow. If you have bad service at a restaurant, it's slow. It's, this isn't one I've heard real common, but they also say if something's boring, people will refer to it as being slow. Webster's Dictionary for slow, mentally dull, stupid, a slow student, naturally inert or sluggish, lacking in readiness, promptness, or willingness. Somehow we have propped up hurry as a positive thing. Someone that's always busy, always hurry. They're a, they're a go-getter. They're a, you know, they're, it's all, it's all positive. <clears throat> or it looks, uh, we've propped it up to look that way. Thought it was interesting. I was something I was reading. He was talking about advertising, and advertising has changed drastically over the years. The wealthy used to be, in advertisements, you would see them relaxing, a lot of leisure. You know, they might. I don't know what, like, uh, like say, Rolex brand of watches or something. You might see a wealthy person with a Rolex watch on, and he's on a yacht out in the, and just enjoying his time. And that was how Rolex advertised. Now you'll see it on a businessman in a high rise. You know, this is the advertisement. He's wearing this fancy, expensive watch. You know, something that it's like a status symbol, and everybody's. You know, trying to 
get to this place or whatever. This businessman is wearing it. He's in a high rise. The setting outside is it's dark, so it's a late night meeting. It's not leisure. It's it's being busy. You know, somebody that I don't know. I don't know how to finish that exactly, but it, it, I, that struck me as interesting. It used to be leisure, and now it's busy people is what they're using for advertisement. Almost like that's the way we should be. Somehow we need to find, as Jesus did, that place between busyness and hurry where we can still hear from God what we're doing matters makes a difference and we're not distracted by things that don't matter you can I would maybe give this as a challenge um, sometimes we read through the gospels I, I don't know again maybe I'm the only one that that deals with this kind of thing but to read through the gospels and you know, read down through the Sermon on the Mount and sort of, oh, yep, this these verses, that's non-resistant. Yep, that, I'm not in the army. Okay, next one. And we just sort of check off these, like, doctrines that, okay, yeah, I think I mostly got that figured out. How about, how about read through the Gospels, take the next couple months, read through the four Gospels, and look at how Jesus responded to someone. Don't, don't look so much at his teaching. Look at how he responded to someone. Look at how he reacted when his disciples were acting like little children, fighting over who was going to be greatest. You know, maybe that will help next time. I, maybe your boys don't fight over things, but mine do occasionally. Maybe if I, would, if I would look at how Jesus responded in that, I could find a way to respond when my boys are fighting with something. Look at how he how he related to people. He didn't. I'm just suddenly thinking of the Pharisees, and sometimes it seemed like he gave, you know, sort of short um, answers, but I think that's a, in a different category. But in general, the people that were coming to him, he responded out of love. He responded with a with care for them. He responded in a way that they didn't feel like he had something better he should be doing. He had time for them. You have multiple stories of that. Lazarus dies. You'd think, so he finds out Lazarus is sick, and you would think that he would go and heal him. He was a friend. But he doesn't. He waits three days. And then on the way there, he gets distracted by the Um, someone else who needed healing. I can't remember now if it's the lady that touched the hem of his garment or if it's uh, the centurion that wanted his daughter healed. I, I can't remember the sequence of the stories right now, but so he, you know, Lazarus is dead. His friend is dead. He should be there present for the family, right? But he's dealing with this other issue that's right at hand. And yet, all the whole time, showing us what rest is supposed to look like. 
how to work in an unhurried manner. Um, I'll recite those verses in Matthew again here, maybe in closing. I'm, I might have a few comments after it, but uh, here at the end. Um, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Anyone feeling labored? I don't know if I asked it directly like that earlier when I was asking all the questions, but is anybody feeling heavy, burdened? Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I think I haven't, uh, I haven't, I haven't figured this whole thing out. I'm, I'm still trying to figure out what does this mean for me. What is, what is being able to do the work that I'm called to do, and not be rushed and and in a, you know, frantic state all the time. You know, what does that mean? How do I meet the needs of of the people I'm supposed to meet, my wife, my children, my work situations. You know, I, I don't know. I'm still trying to figure that out. But I've seen a totally, through this study, I've seen a totally different, like maybe from a totally different angle or, or seen something totally different, especially in the area of distraction. That, that thing of how many time-saving devices we've come up with and we still don't have enough time it's just, yeah, it's, it's mind-boggling, like, what do we do with our time? So that's another, maybe, encouragement. Uh, consider that. What do you do with your time? One thing I did is, the, something nice about the iPhone, you can go and do a lot of, what do you call it, um, like adjust settings for things. So I've gone to where I only get notifications Twice a day. I don't get every time there's a new news article, it doesn't pop up. You know, that's distracting. And how often buzz in your pocket and pull it out and look quick, oh, it's just a news article, put it away. Well, it's time. So I've set it that it goes off at like 8.30 and 4.30 or something like that, where I get notifications. In an effort to not be distracted, in an effort to be present in the moment in whatever I'm doing or whoever I'm with, um, it's another book I was listening to, and the guy said he had a somebody came to him looking for a job, and his phone went off. The guy, the guy looking for the job, his phone went off, and so the guy who he came to see, he just sat there. He quit talking, and he just sat there. You know, you'd think after ten, fifteen seconds, it would have been kind of awkward. He would have put his phone down, but he was so distracted by that thing, it went on for minutes. And he didn't give him the job because of it. He said, if, if you can't focus on what, you know, be a part of a conversation without getting distracted in that, in that way, he said it's, he didn't think it was going to be a fit for the job. What, what are we distracted by? This can be a lot of things. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, 
And that will give uh, that will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. I want to find rest for my soul. I don't like living in the life of an emergency where everything just feels frantic all the time. I think I'll leave it with that. God bless.